Hi, guys. Welcome to episode 26 of Small Talk Words of the Podcast, the at-home series. I am here with Rachel, aka Richie Jolivet. She's a real estate agent at Halstead, co-founder of Vetted Collaborative, and I would say an emerging activist, but we're going to get into all of that. She is with us now. So hi, Richie. How are you? Hi, I'm very good today. How are you? Good. So this is your first podcast. Very exciting. <laughs> um, so before let's before we jump into all the good stuff you've done, let's do like an introduction, your story, your background, where you grew Absolutely. up. Um, okay. So I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, born and raised um, from, you know, actually New Orleans. And a lot of people say that and they're like from Shreveport or somewhere else from New Orleans. Um, I have a almost twin brother. We're less than a year apart. Um, and then my, both my parents, my dad's a, a lawyer, a VP of a Fortune 500 company. And then my mom is a federal judge, which um, <laughs> wow. okay. I was not expecting which heavily influenced um, my, my life and probably now my current activism. Right. Um, I grew up um, going mostly to private schools, all white, for the most part. I was typically the only or one of maybe two or three people of color, not just black students, just people of color anyway, um, in my school. And um, it was a very unique experience for me, I think, just because I, I, didn't, I didn't realize how different my upbringing was from my, even just from my parents and in regards to race and stuff, there's a lot of things that I had, I learned later on in life or a lot of things that I didn't pick up on. Um, and think about like the nuances of race. Um, and it, it took me, I think getting, when I went to college and getting outside of new Orleans to realize how bad some of the things were that, that we dealt with. Um, but yeah, so I, I um, went to I went to two colleges actually. Graduated from high school in New Orleans. Immediately left and went to a small Catholic school, um, University uh, Saint Edwards in Austin, Texas. Um, just because I wanted to get out of New Orleans, I knew that I needed to to leave. I think I applied early action in like. October, I knew by November. So I sent the, I didn't apply to us any other schools. I didn't even try. I was just like, I need to, to leave. And I knew Austin at the time. Now everyone knows Austin as this really fun hip city. Back then, even I guess that was like, what, 10 years, not almost 10 years ago. Um, it just was this little town that was kind of just weird. And I knew that it had a high population of people under 30. Yeah. Um, and then some things happened within our family and I needed to come back home. So I finished out my year at uh, my last two years at Tulane university. And then I think it took two weeks after I graduated to move to New York. And I only waited two weeks because I had to get my wisdom teeth out. Um, and so then I moved to new, uh, to New York. And the first thing I did was get into the design industry that had always been a passion of mine, interior design and um, architecture and um, got my first job as a really as an internship. And my dad's advice was just go to the, find a company you want to work for, even if it's not the job you want, and then create that position for yourself or, you know, figure out a way to make yourself indispensable. And so I did that. Um, I started as an intern. Basically, I was like shredding paper the first couple of weeks. And then I 
essentially created this position of a sales assistant running around doing all these things for the salespeople. Um, and then there was just a series of events where some people left and they hired up with from within. Even if I didn't have the extensive experience, I had been showing that I was at least hardworking enough to try. And within, I guess it was about three years, I became the marketing director there at Suite. Um, and it gave me a lot of opportunity. It was the job. Um, we got to travel a lot. Uh, Sweet New York is an international um, uh, design company, and they represent, I think, 30 different um, furniture brands. So I got to travel all over the world. And I think that's when I kind of got the travel bug, <laughs> yeah. um, since I was able to do that so often. Um, and then... I kind of felt like I love I love my sweet New York family even so I still go to their holiday parties but I felt like I had done all I could do there mm-hmm. and I had some other passions and so then I that's when I got into real estate <laughs> and then at the same time I had met my fiance and we had this idea for a business and it all kind of happened at once and um yeah. yeah, it just one thing led to another. I always say, go with momentum. So wherever the wind is taking me, if if a path opens up in front of me, I feel like it's that way for a reason. So I just go for it. Right. Yeah. So I looked up what Veta Collaborative was, and I was so intrigued by the concept and idea. Could we like talk about what it is for those that don't know? Yeah. So um, that it is a members only travel community, as we like to say. Um, it's right now we have about 375 members, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started from our own network. But um, I guess when explaining what that it is, I'd like to kind of just tell the story because it's hard to just say what it is because there's nothing else like it. There's not really anything to compare it to. It's, Love not, a good story here. Yes, it's not the typical, you know, group travel company. Um, so when actually my fiance and I, when we met, um, we had our first date and then I guess it was less than three weeks later, I went to Mykonos with him and all his friends. (laughs) Where did we meet? Um, I wish I had a cooler story. Um, we matched on Bumble and I didn't message him back. So he found me on DM and, uh, he, (laughs) he actually ended up, I only responded to him because I was bored at, at the middle of the night. And, uh, he ended up saying something similar to what my dad had said because he had said he was in finance and I always said I would never date a guy who was in finance because they were all sleazy and I was done with that. Right. And um, he, when I asked him what he did, he said that he was a trader, but that um, he did it because it affords him the life he wants to live, not because he loves the job. Mm-hmm. And my dad always says, sometimes your job is what you love and sometimes your job affords you to do what you love. And my dad had literally said that to me that same day. And I was like, maybe this is a sign. So I agreed to go on a date with him. And then I canceled. <laughs> and then when we rescheduled, I was an hour late. <laughs> and um, I remember telling my girlfriend, I was like, I'll be, I just have to go on a date. Like, it'll be maybe an, maybe an hour and I'll come back and meet up with you. And we shut the, the restaurant down. I was there for four hours. And then two weeks later, He's, he was going on a trip and look, I'm not naive. I know I was not the first girl that he had asked to come along on this trip. I was probably like a last resort. Apparently I was the only one who could have afforded her own plane ticket. Um, so that was my invite. And on that trip is when everything kind of came together. Um, 
you know, we fell in love on that trip, which is like cheesy, but that's, that's what happened. And his friends were so amazing. And it was such an interesting experience because it was maybe like three of his core friends that wanted to do this, this week long trip in Mykonos. They wanted to get this big house. And then in order to make it feasible, they, you know, here and there were inviting different friends and they were inviting their girlfriends. So the the whole group of, I want to say it was at least 12 people across um, the, the entire stay were most of us didn't know each other or just randomly. Um, and two of the girls that were on the trip, um, they became some of my closest friends, one of whom is actually in my, in our wedding. Um, and the group just kind of came together and it was such a nice experience because one, the trip was really fun because everyone was just there to have a great time. Mm -hmm. Um, but also we built these really awesome relationships when we got back to New York, we were continue to travel together, but we were going our dinners together. We had our big group chat. And um, ever since that trip, we kept saying how we want to recreate this. This was so much fun. How do we recreate this? And that's kind of where um, the idea for better was born. Like, how do we keep getting all of these really fun, amazing people to travel together? Because at least for me at the time when I was single, I didn't feel comfortable traveling alone as a woman. Um, and a lot of my friends couldn't necessarily afford to travel with me. And, um, it was so going on this trip, I didn't, I didn't even take a second look at it. You know, my, I, my parents did have me send, um, a pictures of Andrew's passport to them to make sure just in case he was like a murderer or something. Yeah. But, um, but we were just like, yeah, how can we recreate this? And then Andrew and I have been traveling together on our own a lot and we were in Portugal and we had found this really awesome boutique hotel and we had been working with a travel agent before and we actually ended up kind of just like firing the travel agent because they weren't getting what we were trying to do we were like we want an authentic experience we want something boutique we don't want to go to the big resort you know conglomerate that everybody else goes to right. we want to have the real experience and so we ended up just at the time I was transitioning out of my position at um, Sweet New York into real estate. So I had a little bit more time. So I just dug in. And when Andrew would get back from work, we, we planned this entire trip um, 10 days through, um, through Portugal. Um, and on the trip, we looked at each other. We we're like, this is what we need to do. Like we were in this little boutique hotel and we we're like, how awesome would this be if we had 15, 20 other friends or like new people and this we could have this amazing experience. And then it all just started happening. And I think at the time, Andrew thought I was just pushing this idea as like a fun thing until I was like, okay, let's call a lawyer and like get this, you know, get this started right now. And he's like, oh, she really means business. She's trying to do this for real. And then it just blossomed into something bigger. And I, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't I didn't realize that it was going to take off as quickly as it did. <laughs> so um, starting my real estate career and um, vetted at the same time was was a lot, but we figured it out. And, you know, a year later, we're here. Obviously, COVID has affected things a bit, but, um, yeah. but yeah, so basically the premise is that we are just trying to get people, awesome people together who want to travel to have these experiences where, you know, especially with us, you know, not before, before I had, um, before I'd met Andrew, it's very difficult to plan a trip to someplace you've never been to. And especially if you want a local kind of experience, what are you going to do? You're going to look at Pinterest and they're going to tell you the same 10 places that everybody else said to go. 
And we didn't want that kind of experience. And when you're working so hard, it's very difficult to plan in depth a trip like that. So, and when you, you can't take that much off time off of work, you know, in New York city, it's, there's no such thing as a nine to five. Everyone's working, you know, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. If you don't you have your side hustles too, even if you do have like a nine to five, everyone's exactly. working after work. Yeah. Exactly. And then imagine you go off on a trip and then you spend a bunch of money at, you know, on an activity or restaurant and it turns out to be awful. It feels like even more of a waste of time. We're like, we want to, we want to vet everything first. We're going to do everything first ourselves. And then when someone comes on a trip with us, they know we've, we've done this before. We know how this is going to work. We're not going to take you to a restaurant where you're going to have a bad meal. You know, we've already been to that restaurant. We've tried everything on the menu and we've made a selection. We've made wine selections already so that your experience, the idea is you book your trip with us and then you don't have to think about anything. A week before we send you, we send you a more detailed itinerary. We ask a few questions to make sure everything's all set up and just making it as simple as possible. And people really responded to that. We thought it was just going to be our friend, our, you know, our friend group that would start with us. And then it expanded so quickly. So yeah. No, when I was reading about it, I thought it was so cool. Cause when you hear members only, you're like, Oh, like it's just for like rich snobby people, but it's like, really, you're looking for authentic people that genuinely enjoy traveling and getting to know the culture and getting to know like the real restaurants, not the ones just everyone's going to. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, I but we, we made a point. We went back and forth about whether or not we were going to do members only because the, the idea of something being members only has this, um, you know, people think it means excluding people and we decided to stick to doing members only because we wanted to create a safe community. And when something's members only, you're agreeing to certain guidelines. So for example, what we call them are are jeopardizers. So anyone who could jeopardize the experience of anybody else, that's where we say draws a line. Mm -hmm. Um, for example, we're on a, we're on a group trip and we're at dinner and someone gets you know, so a guy gets too drunk and starts getting handsy with someone. Mm-hmm. If you're just out on a normal, in a normal situation, you can't necessarily ask that person to leave or like kick them out because they're just, they paid for the trip. But when you sign up on a trip with us, you are agreeing to conduct yourself in a certain way. And look, we love to have a good time. We all love to drink. We love to, you know, party and whatnot. And we want everyone to have a great experience, but we don't want to put anybody else in a, in a situation where they're uncomfortable. And this allows us to be in a situation where we can pull someone aside and say, Hey, you're not following, you know, these guidelines, you're making other people uncomfortable and, you know, give them a warning. And then we also have the ability to send somebody home. If we're, you know, we're taking over a, a boutique hotel or a property, you know, we, if it's, if we are just staying at a hotel, we can't tell somebody to leave the tape for the room, but we can book you a ticket and send you home. If you, you know, if you're making people uncomfortable or for you're, you know, disrupting the peace. Right. So, Makes yeah. sense to me. Um, what, what would you say out of all your trips, like what's one or two that like were really memorable that you're like, Oh my God, that was like the best experience of my life. Um, I think just with vetted or in general, um, I think with sure. vetted, our my most favorite trip has to have been our first big um, trip to Portugal. The mm. first one we did, um, like our kickoff trip, because I think Andrew and I were both super nervous about, um, you know, just making sure everything went really smoothly. And um, funny enough, things didn't go smoothly. Um, we the day that we're scheduled for us to have a boat day, mm. it was like torrential downpour the entire day. And 
um, that was like our biggest year. We had, we plan ahead for everything. So we did have things set up for, you know, if there, we had the boat day already scheduled, booked out for the a second day, just in case we had some other activities. But, um, when people pay for an experience or expecting something, I was so nervous that everyone would be really upset and we wouldn't be able to get people to enjoy their time, even if it was raining. And it was the exact opposite. It was the time when everyone, you know, was kind of just all together hanging out. It wasn't people off in their own rooms doing whatever they wanted to do. We had like a big cooking class and everyone, I mean, I think some of the people came out in like their PJs and stuff and we were just like drinking wine and having a good time. And that was when a lot of these like deep, meaningful conversations started to happen and people really started getting to know each other. And then it was so funny because then the next day on the boat day, you just based off of the conversations they had yesterday, you just see people even just grouping off differently who originally were always sitting next to their, you know, their person that they came with. And then you, all of a sudden you see them, you know, chatting with the guy they just, they just had that deep conversation with the night before. And you're watching these, you know, relationships build right in front of you. And, um, and then after, you know, after that trip, seeing pictures that they're sending us of like all these people hanging out outside of a vetted, event is, you know, so I think that it just the experience of seeing how successful it was just made it so much better. Cause we'd been to Portugal at least three or four times before, but having that experience with other people and showing them how beautiful this, this place was, um, that was by far the, the best trip probably I've ever had, but well, it just goes to show you too, like they're really building a community of people that are getting to know each other. I think that's awesome. And on, honestly, most of the times I've had like moments like that were when something didn't work out and then it ends up turning out better than I thought it would. Yeah, so it's just <laughs> exactly. Things work out like that. Um, and you don't have to go into the exact pricing, but for how does it work? Do I pay like, do I pay a monthly membership fee plus the trip? Like, how does that work? So originally we were, um, we were doing we were going to do a, a one-time yearly fee. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've changed that um, so that there's, we're going to be introducing post-COVID some, uh, some different tiers where there will be a yearly fee that will cover some, um, some additional experiences, events, and um, some, some personal travel um, uh, concierge services. But there's no yearly fee. You pay per trip. Um, the trip price does, does vary. I can tell you from our most recent trips, they've been about around $3,500, um, per person, um, for the full, for the full trip. But it does, it just depends. It depends on a few things. Um, one, it depends on the place, obviously going to a place like Portugal is a lot less expensive than going to Lake Como, for example. Um, and also the length of the trip, we usually do, we try to do like a five days, but depending on where we go, sometimes it might be a full week or sometimes it's going to be like a, a, a short weekend. Um, but we, we will say one thing that we do um, is we really try to make it so that it's not more expensive than it would be if you went on your own. And how we do that is we partner with, with different brands. We partner with different, um, with different hospitality groups and whatnot. So also inherently when you're paying for things in bulk, you get a better deal. We pay for everything up front and negotiate everything so that it brings that price down because I said, obviously travel and travel is inherently expensive and there's, you know, there's costs associated with it, but we don't want it to feel like 
a burden and we wanted to make sure there weren't any hidden costs. So you pay for your flight separately. Um, we give you a list of, you know, preferred flights you should take. We also sometimes have discount codes for, um, for different airlines. Um, and we're also about to introduce, we're working with, um, some people with, uh, that are going to be able to help with, with travel, um, with the flights and whatnot soon. But, um, it was really important for us not to have hidden fees because that's something I saw with so many other of these, you know, group travel things. You're like, Oh great. I'm going to go on this trip. It's going to cost $2,000. And then you go and you start eating meals and you're like, Oh, that's another hundred dollars. Oh, that's another $200. We say every meal is included. If you, if you decide to go off on your own and spend your own money or get souvenirs or whatever, great. But we have, we have covered everything. And that was super important to me because particularly for, we have a lot of women coming on our trips and we already know women don't get paid the same amount. <laughs> and so I didn't want to ever put someone in a situation where they thought they were going to spend one thing and end up spending double. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also how you're differentiating yourself saying that, cause I think when people book trips, you always end up spending more than what you thought yeah. you were going to. Yeah. So that's definitely a different differentiator. Um, you're quite the badass, I have to say. I feel like just hearing like all the things that you're doing, you're in, you're a fiance and you are killing it. Um, so I want to also get into now talking about like the Black Lives Matter movement. So what do you think is like the overall reason and why you think it's being brought to light now? Um, there's a few things. So, um, you know, I've been passionate and vocal about the Black Lives Matter movement for a long time now, really. Um, just being a black person, all these things infuriate me. Um, but I've definitely become more vocal now because I've, I've realized one that people are listening. And before I didn't think people would listen to me if I was, you know, trying to educate somebody on the experience, but I really do think, um, we have COVID to thank for it being such a big deal right now. Um, to other, it's always been a big deal in the black community, but the world is hearing it because, everything else is drowned out. You know, no one has these other distractions to, you know, to keep them willfully, in my opinion, blind to what's, what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think social media has also played a big, a a very big role in this, um, as well, spreading this message. And, um, I think it's just this kind of culmination of, of a bunch of different things. Um, but I will say I, without COVID, I don't think it would have been this big. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then what do you think is like the message that we're trying to get across from this movement? Like, what do we really want to communicate to people? It's really about, um, one, bringing awareness to the fact that, that this is a problem, that Black people do have less opportunity. We are treated differently. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know, we we as a country look at the world in like this whitewashed way. Um, even if you think about history, like, I mean, growing up in Louisiana, they barely, they didn't teach African-American history. It was all white history. We skimmed, we skimmed over slavery a little bit, but it's always taught as this thing where, you know, there was slavery, then it was abolished and there was Malcolm X and then MLK came and civil rights movement. Everything was fine. There's no more racist. And that's not really how it happened. Right. And, um, you know, they have this, you have this world where, you know, because black people were silenced for so long, we kind of stopped talking about it as frequently. And like, when I started sharing more recently, my stories and experiences with racism and people being so shocked that that stuff happened to me, 
I realized that I had been doing myself a disservice and doing my community a disservice by not speaking on these things because it, I, people didn't realize that it was happening. Like my friends, knowing my friends were shocked to hear about this stuff. Some things where they were around or they were in the same room when these things happened and they, and they didn't know. Um, I think that this is a really important time for people to be sharing those experiences because it really is um, that the majority of white people have been ignorant to what's what's happening, and um, I think that's that. This t- is the time to to change that, and I know that a lot of people will feel differently than I do. I think everyone has their own role. Um, I don't believe personally that we can be successful in this movement without white people, without white support and without white allies, because, you know, obviously the black community is a large portion of our community, but in order to make real progress, we need help. We can't do it on our own. You know, we've been trying to do it on our own for years and (laughs) look, look how far we've come. Um, We've done, we've been able to do a lot, but not nearly enough. And that's because, this issue isn't a black person's issue. You know, it is, it is how white people see black people. It is how white people view the world through their own lens and not their, they're ignoring the fact that these things are happening simultaneously. They are the ones with the most power and the most voice. So if these people who have this power and this voice are in these positions where they could help us, but they're, Un- completely un- unaware that we need their help, nothing's going to to move forward. So yeah. that's why I say I like to recruit allies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And well, one of the reasons how I even found you is because you were being so vocal and sharing your story. And I was like genuinely impressed by how, you know, you were willing to speak in such a way. Um, I also saw that yesterday you posted the video from one of the, um, yes. <laughs> and so I was, for those listening, she, I don't, there had to have been like, thousands and thousands of people there it was insane I think it was like 5,000 people I was I was like when, when they turned the camera I was like holy crap that's a lot of people um so I know you shared a very intimate story in there do you mind sharing it here yeah um it always like if I cry I'm sorry um is it always no no so and I, I will I'll say um I've shared this story a couple times more recently um because it's it seems to get people's attention, mm-hmm. but I think it's important one to know that it is not my only story there. I have probably hundreds more. And, um, and also when I tell you this story, it really is important to recognize that I am a light skinned woman. I have had a lot of my own privilege in my life because both my parents grew up with nothing in middle of nowhere, Louisiana, and work their way up to, and I'm very happy and uh, and and grateful for for them for giving me the education and the access that I have. But I have those things. I got a private school education. I I went to college. I had I've had good jobs, you know. So I am privileged on my own, and I've still experienced this kind of stuff. So um, this uh, happened to me in high school. Um, and I, I say, I tell the story about high school because it's further back. I, it's harder for people to identify who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and there was a kid that I went to high school with, known, I'd known him for years. I probably would have considered, I don't think I really liked him all that much, but I, he was in my friend group. I wouldn't have considered him to necessarily be a bad person. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
he had this vendetta against me and my family um, for some silly reasons that the reasons aren't my story to tell. So I'll skip over that. But um, he, my family did nothing wrong for, to him, but um, he took it out on me and he started following me at parties and he would throw drinks in my face and call me a bitch. And there was one, um, one time where he got so close to hitting me, he was in my face. He wasn't physically pushing me, but you know, when someone just starts getting closer and closer and closer and all you can do is back up and he backed me up against a wall and was just like, screaming to the point where like spit was flying in my face. And the only reason it stopped was because I had uh, two friends, um, Odell and Miles, who jumped in. And mind you, this is a party where there were hundreds of people. Some girls' parents were out of town. Everyone and their mother was there. And only, you know, these two kids stepped up and um, and jumped in and, and helped me. And at the time, I actually didn't tell my parents about it um, or my brother. My brother heard through the grapevine, but I was afraid that you know, my, I knew how upset my dad would be. And I was like, I don't want him to, to confront them and there to be some sort of like altercation over it because I know what's going to happen out of that. My dad's going to be the one to, to get in trouble. So, um, didn't tell him. And, um, a couple weeks later, it still kept happening. Um, I think I, I only remembered this when my mom told me, um, I've completely forgotten. He also like peed on my car at a party as well. Like what? just like, yeah, like stood on the hood of my car and peed on it. So like he was just crazy. Um, and then Jeez. I think he got excessively angry um, over the course of time. He was probably being egged on by people. And um, we were at another party. I'd driven there with a, with a group of friends. And um, he, oh, this is where I get emotional. He um, was screaming at me again, the usual. And he said to me, why don't you, um, you're, you're getting angry. Are you going to like throw monkey shit like the nigger you are? And I just like, I froze. And I think like, I probably thought beforehand that I would be a person who would have like stood up for myself. But in that moment, I'm looking around, everyone's hearing this, everyone's watching and no one's doing anything. And so I just got up and left and I finally, of course, like told my, my parents about it. And, um, you know, that's something like we could have pressed charges for. I could have gotten him, like try to get him kicked out of school for or something. But all that happened was my dad went to his house, knocked on their door and talked to his, um, talked to his dad, had him bring his son down and was just like, this is not okay. And if you, you're going to have issues if you ever come after my daughter again. And after that, he, kind of tried to leave me alone. <laughs> I guess he like avoided me a little bit. Um, but that experience, it wasn't, and two things, one, why I don't say his name is because, and I've had people DM me being like, Oh, who is it? Like that I know from, from home. And my reason for not doing it, cause the story isn't about him. I don't want, you know, people don't need to go after him over it because he's not important for like, Oh, he could lose his job. Honestly, I don't think he has a job right now anyway. <laughs> but. Um, it's, it, to me, it wasn't what was most painful about that wasn't even him saying that to me. It was that all these people I was with that were supposed to my friends didn't help me, didn't say anything. And experiences like that, you have enough of those experiences where someone says something to you like that and no one does anything where you realize, or you think no one's going to help me. No one's going to come to come to my aid. So why am I even going to try to be publicly upset about it at all. And, um, 
as all of this started to happen again. I think a lot of Black people, all of these stories that they had that they had been pushing down started to kind of rise to the top again. And I felt more compelled to share my story at this point because I saw after George Floyd died, um, so many people were commenting on his um, on his criminal past, right? Yeah. Where they weren't they weren't coming in and saying, "Oh, like you know, yes, he went to prison, but then he he did his time. He came out, you know, he's you know moved away. He started a different life. He was going to like open up a business with a, a restaurant with his girlfriend, you know, and." that it was excessive force. It wasn't there. Yes. They were saying something about like a, a counterfeit 20, $20 bill. It's not a violent crime. So all of that stuff is irrelevant. And then I realized people will always try to, you know, remove the human part of somebody in that situation. And for, for some reason, try to validate what happened by their criminal history. And I looked at them like, okay, I don't have a criminal history you know, I'm someone who my friends see every day, you know, I'm on Instagram, I'm in bikinis, I'm, you know, like, you know, traveling all over the world and people think my, my life is so easy. And my life is easier than a lot of people's. I can't, you know, I, I, I can't lie, but, um, thinking that that kind of level of racism only happens to people like him, this, that's just not true. And I, I told my story. I also at the time told a story about my, my dad, my dad has, never been arrested. You know, he's not, he is the vice president of a fortune 500 company. He is as successful and educated and well-mannered as they come. And he has been pulled over, pulled over countless times in our neighborhood where we live because he's driving a Range Rover. And even in 2020, people don't believe that a black man could have enough money to be driving such a nice car. Yeah. And I look at someone like George Floyd and I'm like, that could easily be my father, you know? Mm. And like, there's these subtleties that we learn to do. Like my, my dad wouldn't be caught dead running around in like sweatpants, right? He's always, he's always dressed nicely in like a suit or something like that because he knows how the world will see him otherwise. And that's something that's always upset me and always pissed me off. <laughs> but, um, looking at what's happening now, I thought it was really important for people to see that this level of racism isn't just happening to a specific group of people. It is yeah. very commonplace and it happens way more often than you see on television or in these viral videos. And I think when my friends, particularly my white friends started realizing that this was still happening and that like, you know, I have these experiences, you know, up until even in 2020, that, okay, this is still a real problem and we need to fix this. And now we're seeing so many more people stand up and use their voices and deciding to become allies and educating themselves. Like we live in the internet age, you can Google everything, you know, there's no excuse not to know what's happening, but people don't. And people who think of themselves as not being racist or being anti-racist still don't, you know, my fiance is white and Jewish and He's not racist. He would have always considered himself anti-racist. He would, of course, have stood up for me no matter what, but he wasn't even fully educated on this systemic racism that this the U.S. history has, yeah. and he's been educating himself. So it's um, it's been a very, I think, emotional time for anyone who's Black to 
be kind of reliving a lot of these experiences and be doing it so publicly when previously we all mourned kind of like in private with our own community. Um, but it's also really beautiful to see so many people waking up. And, you know, when I spoke to that crowd of 5,000 people, it was mostly white people, Yeah, you know, and like them getting emotional, them supporting me, like that felt really good because for so long that was a group of people that, you know, I, I'm nine times out of 10, I'm the only person of color in a room, mm. you know, when I'm going out to dinner with my friends and I mean, it's been a, a, a joke. Sometimes I'll be at a wedding and I'll look at Andrew and I'll be like, I'm, you know, I'm the only black person here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And being in a place where I'm always surrounded by white people and realize and always feeling like they don't care. And then being in a, in a setting where everyone there is there to, to learn, they're there to hear you and they're there to love you is an entirely different experience. And that's when I, when I started going to these protests and McCarran Park was when I realized that things really do feel like they're changing. Things do feel different. And it is because white people are waking up. White people are showing up, you know? It's getting, it's getting comfortable with the unfamiliar. And I think that a lot of the times people, um, it's not that everyone is trying to be outright racist, but unfortunately, I think because of the fact that, listen, I went to a high school and I make a joke about it is that ironically, the only black person was my principal and literally everybody else was white. And so um, I think sometimes we, when, we're, when you're not surrounded by people of color, it's just, you don't ask those questions that you should be asking because it's unfamiliar to you. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing your story, by the way, Ben. It's very hard to hear. But you said something that I thought was interesting. And recently I listened to a pastor that said this, and um, he works with a lot of children that have been abused in their homes. And he mm -hmm. says, you know, what's interesting when you listen to these children's stories, they're actually equally as upset at the parent that didn't say anything. And so, you know, there it's not necessarily the abuser, but also the one that was being silent about it. And so I think yeah. that, you know, I can understand you, how you were so upset with the fact that no one's saying anything. Um, yes. So that's important for us to keep in mind moving forward. Yes. Because those people, they, they know that it's wrong and they're not saying anything. And, yeah. and I look at it as I always like to think that I'm, I try to be the friend to other people that I want them to be for me. And I look in that situation. I'm like, if they were doing that to you, I would stand up for you. I would jump in. And then when you realize that they wouldn't do the same thing, it, that's, that hurts. It stings. <laughs> yeah. Um, just cause you bring an interesting viewpoint being in an interracial relationship, has that ever been, have you ever, I don't know, what has the experience been like for you? I'll let you talk about that. Um, you know, I've had, um, I've, I grew up in a mostly white community, so I've had white boyfriends in the past. Yeah. Um, it has been a bigger issue in past relationships. Mm -hmm. I think in our relationship, um, we talked more about our like religious differences because he's Jewish and I was brought up Catholic. Mm -hmm. And that was a conversation that, that happened a lot. And we talk about black culture. We talk about the things that are going on and my, you know, as he's been with my parents more, you know, they're obviously very vocal. Um, but it wasn't until this started happening that like it really sunk in for him. And we, cause it kind of coincided when we started talking about our future and having kids and, you know, coming from new Orleans, I know some people will consider themselves mixed race if they they have one white parent. Um, 
in New Orleans, they, it's still kind of old school. If you're, if you're not white, you're black. It doesn't matter if you're half black, a quarter, an eighth, whatever. Um, so I consider my children, our children will be black and they're going to be, even if they are half white, they're going to be seen by the world in a different way. And I know I'm light skinned. He's white. My dad is very dark skinned. My brother came is, is more dark skinned. Our children could be closer to my skin tone, you know, Mm -hmm. and they, you know, they are going to be viewed by the world differently than Andrew is. And I think when he made that realization and that connection is when everything started to really stick, you know, sink in for him. Cause it wasn't just, Oh, I'm, I'm defending you. It's like, I'm defending our family and I don't want our children to grow up in a world that's, that's like this. So, um, it's been, I think it's been really eye opening for him as well as like a white man of privilege when he's looking around at his friends and realizing who's been staying silent, who's been, um, you know, sticking up for the, uh, for the community. And he had actually posted on his own Instagram, kind of like a call out to other white men, you know, his peers saying like, you know, you shouldn't have to be marrying a person of color to understand or to want to learn. And I have noticed that the friends who were very quick to come around um, have been white women and white men who I know have some sort of close connection to a black person. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, sorry, that's my one. No, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but that's, um, it shouldn't have to take that. And that is kind of the message that we want to get across because realize that, you know, that, that is pointing out to the fact that you really don't have any close black people around you. And that's in itself is a problem. How do you, how are you living in a space where you're not coming into contact with enough black people where you don't have someone, you know, really close to you. That's, that's black. Who's having these conversations with you. And that's, you know, that's a problem in itself. Um, but I've dated people in the past where particularly when I was, when I was younger and I was more in that space of not fully understanding or accepting the issues that were, you know, around me. I shared a story on my um, my stories the other day uh, about a boyfriend I had in um, in high school who was like blonde, white, blue eyes, and he um, he he was not racist, <laughs> but. Yeah there were quite a few situations where he probably could have set up for me or, uh, or he didn't. I know his family wasn't too fond of me being around. Um, I had shared one instance where like after we had broken up a a couple maybe like a year after, but we were still friendly. Um, I ran into his sister and I, she had said that she was looking to go to the college that I had went to. And I was like, Oh, like I'll connect you with some people let's exchange numbers. And she handed me her phone. I started typing in my number. You know, if some, if your number's already in someone's phone, the name will pop up. And I was in her phone as Rachel black bitch. And I didn't say anything. I just changed my contact name and like, and left it at that. And I look back at that and I'm like, when that happened, it, it really did hurt me. But then I just like pushed it down and didn't think about it. And I didn't, even at the time, I didn't think to like to say something to that ex-boyfriend and mention that I didn't say anything to her. And 
that was coming out of my own insecurity, my own feeling like I couldn't stand up for myself. Mm-hmm. And now today, like that would never happen. One, uh, my, my fiance sister would never do something like that. But, yeah. um, but also I would never just not say anything, but, um, I think it's, it's also has a lot to do with my own self-confidence, my own, my, you know, my own ability to be vocal. And from the beginning, I've been very, you know, passionate about issues in the black community and about educating Andrew, um, on things. And so he came into this relationship knowing what he was getting into. Yeah. Um, no, I, but I saw your stories. You were, you've been posting this since like 2015, 2016. So I see it. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, so I grew up, so I have cousins that are black. I have, um, very close friends that are, but I actually, in my own personal life, I've actually gone out of my way to make sure that I'm not only surrounding myself with just white people, because how am I going to grow as a person if everyone around me has the same story, everyone grew up the same, even I even, I've even gone as far and I might be criticized for this. I even like to talk to people from different political parties, from different sides, because I need to hear, I need to hear where you're coming from. That's how I'm going to grow as a person. Um, so I think it's important. Don't just become friends with these people. Don't even like, you know, I think go like purposely go out of your yeah. way to befriend someone, get to know them, get to hear their story. And I, yeah. that's why I'm doing things like this now, because once you do that and you, you see the human, the humanity in people, yes. um, it changes the game. It changes it. It's not, it's no understand why someone's doing what they're doing and right. why, you know, the why behind something is so much more important to me because understanding someone's thought process, there is a, even if you disagree with someone, there is a, there's a thought process behind it. And, you know, there's a difference between something, someone doing something out of malice and someone doing something because they really do think they're doing the right thing. You know, for example, I'm, I'm pro-choice. Yeah. Do, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily condone, you know, not necessarily. I don't condone people choosing what other people do. That's my own personal belief. Mm. But I do understand that people who are pro-life really do believe they're doing the right thing. Yes. And I don't, I don't agree with them, mm-hmm. but I understand the sentiment behind it. And it gets in, we get into politics. And I think this issue of race right now has become this in the Black Lives Matter movement has for some weird reason that I still don't understand has become a political issue of Democrats versus Republicans. Yeah. And it's not, it's, I don't understand why that would be, (laughs) be a political issue because it's about humanity. And, you know, like you said, I have close, one of actually my closest guy friends, um, I can tell him about his name's McCall. He's a Republican. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've had these conversations for years about our differences and this is, this is a man who we, we really disagree on a lot of political stuff, but he is also someone who has been there for me. I've been able to call him in the middle of the night to come and pick me up when I've been in trouble and like, you know, like out, you know, at night by myself and didn't want to walk home alone or something like that. And you can, people can be good people and have, you know, different viewpoints than you on most things. But when it comes to something like the value of human life. That is, that is a moral issue. And I don't think this is a Republican versus Democrat issue. Mm -hmm. Um, but Trump gets and brought into this. And I actually, I said this the other day, like Trump people, 
don't like Trump, not because he's a Republican. We've had other Republican presidents that we've accepted, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, but the issue with him is not that he's a Republican, is that he's he's a documented racist, and people are so quick to excuse things because they just they they are so tied to that like Republican side of things yeah. that they can just ignore everything else. And um, we actually, my fiance and I were having a, a conversation today about um, Candace Owens, who's this. Yeah, uh, I know her very well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and she's a, a black, I don't even know what we want to, if she has a real title right now, like spokesperson for like Republicans. I don't, I don't know what her actual title is, but, um, but she's been very vocal about the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's irked me that I've seen so many um like white Republican people using her to showcase that, um, to, you know, that the Black Lives Matter movement is wrong and that it's violent or that it's this and it's that because um, I've been, we, I have a group chat with my friends literally about this, <laughs> but um, <laughs> why this is happening. And we came down to, it's like, if you are so stuck in your ways that, um, and you, you know, you're being willfully ignorant, you're trying to be blind, you are going to go after, you know, you're going to find the one person, the one black person who agrees with you and ignore the thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of black people who are saying the exact opposite. And I put it into a, um, a little anecdote or whatever I said, you know, if you, if there's a glass of water on the table and, you know, a, and you're, and you're really thirsty. You're like, you're dehydrated. You really want this glass of water. Mm-hmm. And a high school student comes up to you and says, oh yeah, that water's fine to drink. Don't worry about it. Go ahead. And then a group of a thousand people come over and some of them are scientists who have tested that water. And they're like, yep, there's poison in there. And some people are like family members and friends of people who have taken a sip of that water and died. And they're all like, do not drink that water. It is poison are you going to drink the water? Mm -hmm. No, you're not going to drink the water because everybody else is telling you it's bad. That one person is telling you it's good. And that one person, that high school student that doesn't know anything that's telling you that water is safe to drink is Candace Owens. She is, you're deciding to agree with her because you're that thirsty. You're that dehydrated that you want to believe it so bad. So you're going to attach yourself to this, you know, this narrative and ignore everything else. And I think that is the prime definition of wolf or ignorance because she has this one voice and she has this platform and people are looking at her and validating their only validation is that she is black. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, well, a black person is saying this. Therefore, therefore it must be true. Yeah. Um, I think that, no, it's like, it's, I, I hear, I have so many thoughts in my head because I, I, I have friends from both sides of the, uh, the spectrum and I hear all their opinions. And I think that where I, tr- where, where I personally trying to come from a place from, I think with from what I see with Republicans is that it's all like data and, and numbers based. And I think that a lot of, a lot, not everyone, but I also, I think yeah. Democrats can be a lot more emotional, emotion based. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the truth, I think lies somewhere in the middle. I do think you can't, you can't be all data and you can't be all emotion. You yeah. have to come together. And so I see people ripping each other apart in the comments and it breaks my heart because I think a lot of people aren't understood. And once, there's actually more that we have in common than we have different. Yes. So 
I think, and we, and people have to understand everyone comes from a different background. I was brought up differently than how you were brought up. So I'm going to bring in different perspectives and different experiences. So I feel like keep that in mind when you're talking to people that someone might say something that you're like, Whoa, but like they're from them, they're coming from a place how Wow, that's how they grew up. And so I think the only way to move forward is to have really authentic conversations, be sitting in a room with your friends, hop on the phone, don't fight each other with these comments on IG. I don't see how that's personally productive. Yeah. I'm not into cancel culture. I don't, I don't get it. I think that there are people who gen, like you said before, genuinely think that they're coming from the right place. So, um, yeah. and that- I don't believe in cancel culture because look, particularly if we want to, if we want allies, if, someone starts to kind of come around, right? Yeah. So they come out and say they're sorry, or they're, you know, these, all these brands who haven't been diverse and now are, you know, are coming out. Um, as long as they follow up and do the work, you can't just be performative and say it, but yeah. don't tear them apart because if everyone gets torn apart when they come around, then like, they're going to stop coming around. Mm. They're going to stop there because they're, they're going to be like, okay, I'm damned if I do. And I'm damned if I don't. Yeah. And I think the best places to come, you got to come from empathy and, you know, you want people to, you want to, you know, appeal to people's emotions and thing my parents always say, my mom, she t- actually, um, before she was a federal judge, she taught negotiations and, um, and for a bunch of law schools and I would sit in on her classes and she would always say, when you're negotiating, you know, you have to one, first you have to figure out what the other person wants and then you have to give them that you have to give them something, mm-hmm. you know, you can't. So when you're having an argument with someone, I always try to find something about their argument that's valid or that I, that I agree with. Yes. And that kind of like settles them down a little bit because they're not, they're getting their information from somewhere. Typically, usually they're not all wrong. And then coming in on the other, the other side, I did that this morning, there was someone who was saying, you know, or why, why is everyone so upset about cops killing black people? Black people kill black people all the time. And mm-hmm. if you go in and say, well, that's just irrelevant like you're being stupid and you're being ignorant. No one's going to even listen to whatever else you have to say. But if you say, yes, black people do kill black people. There are, there is a high crime, high crime rate in, in black communities, mm-hmm. but it's not because their skin is black. It is because they have less education. They have less resources. So you're going to continue to adding more police. It's just continuing to put a bandaid on a problem that is much, much deeper. Right. And when I had this conversation with someone, that was the first time they were able to let it click. And I truly do believe it was because any, any other time they were arguing with someone, someone's going to tell them that they're stupid and they're wrong. Yeah. And then no one wants to listen to you after that. So you have to come from a place of like, at least validating some part of their argument or listening to them first without just like ripping into them. And I mean, occasionally there is someone who's just like outright wrong and Mm -hmm. To do that, I don't but give, but I don't give honestly. I don't give that person the time of day if they're being ignorant or they're not yeah. willing to listen to me. But I actually just had this conversation last night with my mom. I was saying how there are some people that they're so like aggressive with their opinions, and I said, yeah. and, and when you're trying to get your point across, I think you have to. If you really like, you, you have to listen to people just as much as you want mm-hmm. them to listen to you. You know, yeah. so we're not we're not robots. We're at the end of the day, we're human beings. Um, exactly. What exactly. do you? Yeah, no, we're, we're in the same boat. What do you, uh, what do you think, how do we support moving forward? Like what, because obviously this energy will eventually die down. Um, but how do we keep the, the movement and the momentum going? I think well, kind of in, uh, in contra- contrast to what you said, we mm-hmm. don't let that energy die down. Yeah. That's, you know, that's been the issue in the past, you know, 
when the Eric Gardner video came out, when the Mike Brown video came out, when these things happen, there was there was deep outrage in the in the black community. There was outrage in in white community as well, not to the same degree. This one, this time has been different because it's been lasting longer, particularly, like I said, due to due to COVID. Um, but this is the first time we're seeing real change happen on you know a legislative level. And there are people are passing laws and, you know, change, we just were repealing 50A. Things are really happening. And that is because people are continuing to bring this energy. And, you know, people are going to need to obviously get back to some nor- amount of normalcy. I think that's what I meant by that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's people that, you know, even me included, it takes a lot of emotional energy to be in this fight. And, I know for a lot of, particularly for a lot of black people, it's very difficult because it's so personal and because we've been doing it for so long and we're just like, oh, we're tired. Like white people come in and take over. Like this is your problem anyway. But we can't, I think the biggest part is we can't stop talking about it. You know, we can't go back to the time where when something happens, we just like mute ourselves and are sorry about it for a little bit. And People need to be doing, continuing the work right now on the, on the front end, it's the, it's physically showing up to protest because numbers mean something when the mayor goes out and sees, oh, there was a hundred thousand people on the streets today protesting. That means something because that is a visual show of how many people are pissed off. And they look at that and they look at, those are people who may or may not vote for me. And I need to get them on my, on my side. That's, that's a politician's mentality. Um, so that's important now. Donating money is important now to these causes and getting, please register to vote, registering to vote and voting is really important. But because this problem is systemic and rooted in a, you know, a culture that is built on right, white supremacy, the longer term, harder work is on, on your day to day. That's things like, you know, if someone says something racist or makes, you know, whether it's outright or a microaggression, being the person to, to stand up or to, you know, to jump in or to, you report that person to HR, you go in with, you know, your friend and and report them to HR. That's, you know, I had this, this talk with my, my fiance as he's getting back into the finance industry, which is highly dominated by white men saying, you know what, you might need to like make that extra effort to, you know, when you're going, you're meeting with, um, you know, know, other like traders or clients or whatever, like maybe ask them to bring their black colleague and bring them, bring them into the mix. And this is where people get all like offended about like affirmative action. And because I'm, this is basically what I'm suggesting is like actively bringing more black people in, but it's, it's because otherwise they wouldn't have those, that those opportunities. And you might be the one to give them that where this white person, you know, all their friends are white, all their, their colleagues are white. And they're able to relate on so many different ways. So they're able to get more business. Whereas the black person isn't getting, isn't able to be that buddy buddy with whoever and doesn't get the same opportunities. Like you be the person to bring, to bring them in. You be the person to, you know, and just where you spend your money, research more black businesses, not because you're, you know, out of pity, but because you're, you're looking into expand because white owned businesses tend to have better platforms, better access. It's not that these black owned companies aren't as good. It's just that they don't have the same platform, but going out and doing that little extra research is, um, 
is super important. So I think, you know, in the short term, it's this like, you know, boots on the ground. Everyone's just got to like get into it. But the longer term work is, is going to be what changes our culture. And that's what's important. I agree. Um, I actually had someone, the last episode that I did, she was, she said something that I loved what she said. Basically, I think we all have a lane, meaning that, you know, we all can do a bunch of things, but we can't, not all of us can take over the world. We can't do it all. So kind of know if you're in the education field, advocate for getting, you know, to talk about other black lives when it comes to how kids are being brought up and um, what, whatever, whatever area you're in, like, trying to support black lives in that area that you're, that you're suited in, um, I think is super important. So, you know, even if you, if you're in a business where you work with clients on a day-to-day basis, like how, like look at your clients, are they all white clients? Like should you be bringing in other types of clients? Um, so that's also important, but moving forward, just like what, what is your, what are your personal goals business? Also when it comes to this entire movement, like what do you want to see for yourself moving forward? Um, you know, I, I have my personal goals and then I have my, you know, like business goals. And I've been trying more recently to figure out how to combine those two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my personal goals for our business, obviously COVID has affected our travel business, but, um, I'm excited to pick that back up because we had already built such a, you know, a creative and diverse community and community right now, especially is so important, but, um, I want to, I want to use that platform to make sure I'm more, even more actively bringing in my people of color and joining and and bringing them into this community because we have such a beautiful community that has really been, the better community has really been showing up. We actually just, awesome, 22, um, we just officially raised $22,000 for, um, yes, I saw you were doing this bingo thing, which was such a genius marketing idea. Yeah. We started with bingo and then, um, we had some, some friends, um, help out and we started tripling donations. So officially it's just over $22,000 that we, um, that we were able to raise through, through our vetted community. So bringing in more people into this community, we know it's supportive and we're so excited to, to do more with that, um, and expand that business. And, um, for me, you know, activism obviously is, is important to me but everyone has their role and we need, you know, we need people, we need people that are like in legislative offices. We need people who are Mm -hmm. out there doing protests and whatnot, but we also need black leaders in these different fields. And I think, you know, the travel industry is something that isn't really at all dominated by, by, um, by black people and certainly not women either. So, um, that's something where I feel like I can, if I can succeed in that space, that's where I can reach my hand down. I make a point of, you know, with embedded hiring um, people that are minorities and um, making sure we have a diverse, you know, workplace environment. But um, it's really important that we can, that we grow so that we can set an example so that we can be the ones to reach our hands out and, and help others. And, um, and the more we grow, the more we can do. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's where I'm at. I, I'll always be, I think, an activist and show up when, when needed and help the community and organizing and whatnot. But there are so many different roles to play. And any Black person who can go out and just be 
find a way to be successful in the thing that they love to do, they are doing something for the community because they are, you know, showing the world that we can do these things. We're completely capable of being, being successful. And, um, it just, I think it'll help one, just like morale, but also, like I said, bringing in more people, making it more commonplace to have black and people of color, um, in these leadership roles. And so, and I think that's something everybody can do. Yeah. And then, um, I couldn't agree more. And I think lastly, as you talked about how, just to wrap up how you talked about, this is very emotionally taxing. And so what do you personally do to like take time for yourself and to just give you that mental break that you need? Uh, probably not enough, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I do You're going think- nonstop. Like you've been, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, it's a, it's a lot. Um, but I think one, particularly after COVID, you know, or not after we're still in COVID, but the, the last three months being in complete isolation, it was a lot easier for me to like get out and hit the ground running and do all this because I've just been cooped up and I have all this saved energy. Um, but for me, like when I have anxiety, the best thing for me to do is to if I know how to fix it, if I, if I have a problem that I can fix, this is a problem I can fix. I can get out there and do something. So honestly, a lot of my de-stressing is talking to people is when I know that I am making a move forward. Um, but I will say one thing I always have said, I read this in a book somewhere and I, I still, I need to like do some research and figure out, I need to be able to credit (laughs) this person whenever I, I say this, but, um, to be happy, they say that you need something to do, something to love, and something to look forward to. So, and I always try to have those three things happening because that's how that is my mental health. Being happy is the best way to, for me to keep my my mental health. And um, right now, my something to do is this movement and something to love. I have my really awesome fiance who's like peeking out of the. the door. <laughs> um, and something to look forward to that can be anything from like a really awesome dinner plan plans you have, or a trip you have planned. Like I try to make sure I always have something on my calendar that I can look forward to. And, you know, if I'm really stressed going, you know, before I'm going to bed, I'll literally just look at my calendar and be like, Oh, right. Like I'm doing this sleepover with my girlfriends and like, Angie's going to cook for us. And we're going to have a really great time. That's what I'm looking forward to. And then I can calm myself down. Um, also just like reading funny memes and watching gossip TV when, when in need, (laughs) I wish I could say it's like, Oh, I do like a full, um, juice cleanse. And like, then I take a bubble bath, but no, (laughs) (laughs) no, no, I'm in the same boat. Um, well, thank you for coming on. You were so raw and authentic and I so appreciate it. It's very refreshing. Um, but yeah, we'll have to, I can't, I would love to like meet up when. Yes. Absolutely. Normal. Um, so yeah, but thanks for coming on girl. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Bye guys.